Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. So, uh, yeah, I want to talk about, and I literally just listened to a podcast over lunch here about uh, inflation and the likelihood that we'll go into recession. And I uh, was really doing a deep dive into what the uh, Federal Reserve is doing, what the government's doing, and trying to second guess about you know the world um, events that are happening right now within Ukraine, within China, et cetera. And um, I'm going to avoid and just defer to uh, better experts uh, within that space. Um, the only thing that I can really help you out with is share experiences. And John, I know within 52 years, you've been through it a few times um, with regards to economic cycles. The only thing that I really want to share is the mindset of um, how to take advantage of economic downturns. So what most practices do, and I mean, we're, we see this from large practices that have, you know, multiple locations. And I mean, more than a hundred locations to uh, people that who are uh, single site, just getting started in practice one or two years. The, the natural reaction, the natural reflexive reaction, whenever we see inflation, recession, downward pressure on reimbursements, upward pressure on expenses is to shut down, um, to try to contract and maintain some sort of uh, revenue and and profitability more importantly profitability so there's a it's false math and uh quickly what many of us will do is we will start cutting so the easiest places to cut are very difficult to very difficult to um cut like our rent right um almost impossible to do that unless we own the property that we're running from um, the next place is employment. And within this market in particular, where it's anybody having trouble hiring a clinician right now, right? It's fairly hard to, it, the market is very competitive. There's a shortage of clinicians, regardless of the industry. So then we look at variable expenses and the easiest thing to cut for many is marketing. It's the first thing to go. So rather than, you know, mail out a monthly newsletter, that may be costing us a few thousand dollars. It's easy to spread that out or cut it all together where we're, you know, potentially sending it out every six weeks or every 90 days, every quarter. Um, same thing with anything that we're testing online. And uh, for the, at least having gone through this myself back in 2008, 2009, most notably, is I did that initially. And, you know, I was looking... At the time, we might have had $100,000 a month in total revenue. I was looking at my costs, and they were ninety dollars to $95,000 a month. And what I was thinking of doing is, okay, I'm going to cut $5,000 in marketing, and I have the assumption that that $100,000 revenue is going to stay the same. And quickly, I learned within a month or two that, that that's not exactly how it works at all. So the second that we cut marketing, we cut our revenue. So that's a huge mistake. What you need to take a look at is everybody else in your area, in your community, 
is probably reacting, responding in the same exact way. Um, so yeah, two choices. You can do what 95% of businesses are going to do and cut back as well and see that subsequent revenue decline, or you can innovate and think through how can I get more? How can I grow my revenue during, during this time? How can I be helping more people? I know we all use different nomenclature around growth, but it's how can I affect more lives? How can I impact more people positively? How can I help more patients? Um, how can I grow my revenue? Whatever that may be. Um, but I think we're all essentially saying the same thing. So I'm going to give you four uh, marketing strategies that work um, regardless of the economic environment. And if you do listen to the podcast, uh, Dr. Stephen Franson just did an amazing job um, on this where it was five counterintuitive actions to take during an economic downturn. And um, so I'm not going to go over the same five points that he had. I'm going to share the four strategies that I've used when there is, um, and most notably from 2008, 2009 that we're repurposing again right now. So the first one is the most obvious, it's your patient list, right? People who already know, like, and trust you, who've invested money with you in the past for the improvement of their health are the people who are most likely to do that again in the future. And right now we have uh, two classes that I'm taking through. And the very first thing that we do in the class is they send out an email, a single email. And what and literally I just had this call on Tuesday, but the, what, what happened in that class is um, most people that did send an email out had an amazing response. And I remember the one uh, was a certified hand therapist OT who sent out, I believe, 550, 600 emails and had 34 replies almost immediately. And for most of us as clinicians, and the thing that I heard from the class that everybody seemed to be saying is I'm valuable in the marketplace. So regardless of what's going on with um, inflation rates, regardless of what the housing market looks like, regardless of all this outside noise that's going on, I am still valuable to within the marketplace. People still want to hear from me. Um, I have a valuable message to bring. And that is very reassuring because most of us are operating on an island. So patient list, extremely valuable. And at least communicating with that list, however you do that, we use email, texting, and direct mail. Um, I encourage that you, you double down there. Point number two is education is your most valuable marketing tool. I'll, uh, is there any, I, I can share a high-end tool um, that I did with a, an owner yesterday. It's absolutely free. Any interest in knowing what that is? Sure. Great. So, oh, can I share? Am I going to be able to share my screen? I think you should be able to. <clears throat> so... Anybody um, produce content right now for your practice? You're making videos, you're creating reports, anything like sure. that? Yes, we do. Okay, great. So in terms of educating, John, I can, I know you're unmuted, so I'll pick on you again. Um, the So what's the uh, most common diagnosis that you see in your practice? Oh, probably uh, low back. Okay, great. So 
on the call yesterday, we were doing uh working through facial paralysis. You can see my screen. This is called uh answer the public. And so if we were to search low back, <clears throat> this um what this does is this goes through essentially uh, the Google search engine, and you'll see here in a second or two, it actually creates a tree of what people are looking for. So this is the visualization. So um, what are causes of lower back pain? Um, what lower back pain is cancer? So if you uh, subscribe to like uh, Scott Galloway, who is very much is a uh, believe he's at Columbia and he writes against Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, uh, the, the large tech companies. Uh, the thing that he writes about Google is, is, is it's essentially it has replaced. Um, yeah. And this is highly not my viewpoint, but it is controversial. Um, and it's interesting at the same time, but he said, Google has replaced God within our society because and what he means by that is people will go to Google, they will share things with Google that they won't even share in their own prayer life or with the people closest around them. So anytime there's a, a major accident or anything like that, the FBI, CIA, they seize the Google search history immediately. So what are people typing in about back pain? And this gives exactly gives you everything. So um, is, by the way, the darker green, our lower back pain, uh, normal and early pregnancy, poorly worded search, but you get what people are getting there. Um, you see a lot of back pain in pregnancy here. If you go down farther, um, so let's uh, back pain be prevented. By the way, all of these are low back pain. I don't see any lower back pain. Um, low back pain near the coccyx. So this is a, about where they have it. So anytime that we're creating content and yesterday, the example was facial paralysis today, and it was around uh, dry eyes with Bell's palsy, but seeing what people are looking for, what they're searching for is really the key for you to create content. Years ago, before Google in my early private practice career, I used to just simply note whatever it was that um, patients were asking. So if patients asked me a question about like, Hey, by the way, I notice my back pain is worse, but I had this knee pain that I didn't tell you about that just went away. Is that normal? I would answer, I would use that question and my answer to it as valuable content, um, on, on all of our platforms. So I would make a three to five minute video about it. And at that time I was just sharing it on YouTube. Now you can share it on any social media platform, but answer the public. Uh, this wasn't a great example. And see anything absolutely crazy in here, but you can answer essentially any of the questions in here that are that are popular. Is that helpful at all? Just to see. Yeah, that's great. Great. All right. So, and I know you. Um, we have some questions already that were sent in beforehand. By the way, as I'm going through these final two points, if you have any questions, you can just unmute yourself or um, just you can type it into the chat and we'll make sure we get an answer here for you. Next up is um, you want to create. So uh, point number one was your patient list is most valuable asset. Point number two is in all of your marketing, 
whether you're going to your past patient list, warm traffic, or you're going to completely cold traffic, always lead with education and make it valuable education that lines up with what people are wondering about various conditions. Point number three is get a marketing calendar. So anytime there is a, a more difficult environment, that economic downturn or whatever other word you want to say, a challenging operating environment, you, you want to get more discipline and create consistency. So we lay out a marketing calendar. For example, this month's the first day of the month. This is National Fall Prevention Month. So we have uh, campaigns going out specifically for that and uh, to all of the local, I think it's 3,000 physicians that we market to. And we don't get a lot of uh, referrals because of the area that we operate in. And, you know, we're 90% direct to consumer or direct access. Um, but anyhow, so we have that going out. We have uh, a advertising campaigns going out, not only to the general public around fall prevention, but all of our videos that our directors are doing, everything else is all around fall prevention. And we have some basic statistics that, you know, two, it's 40% of the adult population in the U.S. has difficulty walking. Um, and there are 30 million falls leading to injury every year that occur in the U.S. So we're going to talk about that um, in, in all of the marketing that we have. But we know that when it, it comes September of next year, we're going to be doing Fall Prevention Month again as well. October is National Physical Therapy, um, National PT Month. It's also National Chiropractic Month as well. So uh, in October. So we always have something that we're promoting for um, every single month of the year. And again, we get consistent. So each month we have something going to our patient list via email campaigns and direct mail. We have something going to the, the other clinicians in our area who can refer to us every single month. We have something going out to the general public that, you know, cold traffic on multiple channels. Um, so every month we don't feel like we're reinventing the wheel. And when I'm having conversations with owners, that's frequently the thing that they'll say is I'm time starved and it feels like I have to reinvent the wheel every single month. The campaign that we're sending out this month for, uh, for fall prevention. Next month, we're gonna send a very similar campaign, if not the same exact campaign, it'll be 95% um, to 100% of the same thing we're sending this year. So next August, we don't have to reinvent what we're sending out in September. Point number four is uh, conversion. So I mentioned in a challenging environment, we wanna increase discipline and marketing calendar and planning help with that. But conversion is where a lot of us are falling off. And I, um, we have increased attention on this. And here's what I mean by conversion. So I know off the top of my head, uh, this year, we've had 800 and some odd leads come in um, via, I believe the email campaigns that we've sent out, right? So we six offices, we're sending out thousands of email camp campaign or thousands of emails every single month. And uh, we, we had like 859 replies or something like that. It's significant. Conversion is taking the people that reply to the email and getting them to become a paying patient, right? It's the same thing when we're talking about 
physician referrals. And here's a quick, easy test. If you rely on physician referrals, um, have the front desk note how many calls you get as a potential first patient in one month and how many of those people make it to their first appointment. We did that. We did an audit on that of the office that I'm standing in here in Harrisburg, our main office. And uh, just to give an idea of the flow, we see a little over 600 visits a week in, the, in this location. But in one quarter, I believe it was Q1 of 2021, in one quarter, we had 99 patients who called in for a first appointment, canceled or no-showed on that appointment, and never made it in. And it wasn't until we actually looked at it that we discovered that we had a conversion issue. Now we had a ton of patients come in over 300 new patients come in that quarter for this office, but yet at the same time, 99 of them just completely fell off. So you have to be paying attention to conversion. We track it all uh, within software now. So whether we're getting a lead from Facebook or Google ads or a YouTube ad or the television or radio or email, whatever it is, we track it all in one place, but we want to make sure that we're paying attention to it, that we know where each person is at in the process, and that we're helping people uh, step over and become a paying patient. There are three points of conversion to pay attention to, and then we'll open this up for questions. Um, the, the first one is that initial contact. So whether it's a receptionist or you have somebody calling a dedicated marketer. And that's what we do. We have uh, three, now four dedicated internal marketers who handle all of the incoming um, inquiries, uh, potential patients. Th that's one conversion point. The So quick highlight from the podcast and also the webinars is there. there's a word in just listening to uh, recordings, phone recordings, that if this word is said, uh, it's a two-letter word. It completely wrecks the conversion. The person's not coming in. And that word is if. So, uh, Andrea, if if you want to take care of that, we'll be here. That's typically, you know, if, and whether we're talking about back pain or shoulder pain or some other uh, neurological issue, whatever it might be, if if in the recording I can hear the marketer or the receptionist say the word if, and it's some sort of choice, nine times out of 10, that person will never make it to the first appointment. Um, they're looking for a guide and uh, there, there's a better way to do it. Engagement, ask questions. Also, there's a, a ratio of the marketer talking and the, the potential patient talking. If the marketer is asking questions and engaging or the receptionist is asking questions and is engaging, high, much higher likelihood that person walks in. When, um, yeah, th this is true for email responses or texting responses, any other media that you're using. The second data point or conversion point is uh, within the exam room and what your clinicians are doing there that we all should be paying attention to that. So whether you're doing a free screen discovery visit or we just drive straight to the eval now, um, you want to see how many people are signing up for a full plan of care after that first appointment, that, that first assessment. Um, and that should be a high number, um, like 90, 90% plus, um, depending on your marketing mix there. And then the other point is if you're doing 
some sort of pre presenting. We're known for workshops. I think it's the best uh, long-term consistent conversion piece. Uh, literally our PTs will speak 12 times every single month. So each clinic does two in-house workshops. And then we also um, have them do one workshop out of the clinic as well. We call that a partner workshop, but their skill set, their engagement during that workshop lecture webinar, whatever you want to call it, um, is also a crucial conversion point as well. So four big things to focus on right now. Number one is your patient list. Number two is leading with education in all of your marketing, regardless of who you're marketing to or the channel. Number three is create a marketing calendar and stick to it so you don't feel like you're reinventing the wheel every month. Number four is uh, put discipline in around conversion. Pay attention to what your callers are saying. Pay attention to what your uh, clinicians are saying as well. Chad, I just dropped something in the chat um, just to make sure like we're understanding that, um, like don't say if correctly. Is this a good example? Like instead of saying like, oh, if you're interested, you know, we have availability next week. You could just say, you know, when do you want to come in next week or does Tuesday next week work for you? Yeah, the, great question um, and call out what or how. So questions beginning with what or how are the best. So what's the best time of day for you to come in for an appointment, Andrea, morning or afternoons? Mornings. Great. So what or or how? Um, repeatedly. And this, uh, it came from not only listening to our own clinic, but from a call center study that we did um, that uh, we had access to data for other uh, clinics through the call center, and we could listen to those calls and analyze them. Um, very, yeah, what, what or how questions are great for that first call. Can I have a question? Yes. Um, so I'm going to miss one because I was taking some notes. I appreciate this great content. So when you were talking about three ports of conversion, you were talking about the initial contact, the, um, the exam. Did I miss the last one? Oh, yeah. It's uh, if you're doing a workshop, Kathleen, Got it. presentation, lunch and learn, anything uh -huh. like that. It's, it's a, a great presenter or a presenter can make or break you. Yeah. yeah. Um, can I ask a question on number one? Please do. So. We're finding that we're still putting a good amount of people into the funnel. So we're, we call that an inquiry when they call and just ask about services. Um, we do neuro. So our patients are usually on for longer with more involved um, issues. And a lot more of them have moved to the Medicaid model just for financial reasons through, you know, socioeconomic hardship from the pandemic. So we try not to say if I, I really believe in that but it's just hard because when we were trying to push them through the funnel quicker and not verify their benefits, we ended up giving a lot of services for free. So it's really hard when you need a little time to verify benefits and it's a more complicated case. We don't have this issue on our ortho side. Any suggestions yep. I, about what to do? Yeah. I, give me a, a typical, a common neurodiagnosis. Cerebral palsy. Okay. So I have CP. Mm -hmm. uh, I call in, I'm talking with um, somebody at your desk. Who's the person at your desk? Our patient care rep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Patient care rep. 
And what would, what would I say where the patient care rep would say if? Um, I think it, it's kind of like an if, because we say before we can schedule you for your avail, we want to verify benefits because a lot of times, you know, people have high deductibles mm -hmm. and we're going to have them on. Sometimes they're going to pay their whole deductible to us if they haven't had another like procedure or involved episode in the hospital. Okay. So it's like, we're trying to get them that information because if not, we were getting them through quickly. We weren't saying if we were getting them on schedule. And then once they realized how much therapy costs, they couldn't afford it. So then they were dropping off. Okay. So, and you're, you're, this is all happening on the first call. Um, oh, maybe I'm being scattered. So at first we were, do, we were not doing the if, and we were just getting them right on schedule. And then we found that we had a ton of, a ton more avails, but they didn't stay on for their plan of care. So it was a lot of work getting them on, verifying their benefits, again, and then scheduled. And then we realized, well, let's slow it down and let's verify everything first and then get back to them to schedule. And so we were saying like, if um, we verify your benefits and then we go over that with you and it makes sense, then we'll get you scheduled. So it's just, I guess it's harder in our industry. Hold on, hold on. I don't know how to avoid the if. Yeah. So my business is different is the, that kills us all that crushes us all. So yeah, th yeah. literally I, I was talking with somebody about this yesterday. So uh -huh. very common problem. Uh -huh. Just I, I just want to repeat this back to you, Kathleen. So okay. the way that you were doing it before is scheduling everybody without checking benefits. But what was happening is a large percentage of people had benefits that were financially prohibitive to them continuing. Yes. Okay. And they were dropping off. Okay. So what percentage of people that came to that first appointment would drop off after the eval? We were getting like 25 to 35%. So 75% were staying on? Yeah. Okay. All right. And then when you changed over to the new model, which is doing the benefits first, handling mm -hmm. finance first before that appointment, before mm -hmm. the opportunity to demonstrate value, what is the... What is the subsequent drop-off um, compared to before? I would say five or 10%. It's, it's pretty extreme, okay. the difference that we're seeing. But you, you have less people scheduling that first appointment now because of the financial yeah. conversation happening up front. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to gather the drop-off of people. How many people are calling in and just never making it to that first appointment because it's, it's deemed before you've proven value of your service, it's deemed that I can't afford it. Um, probably 75. 75% are making it there? Are making it there. Okay. All right. So it sounds like a pretty even trade. Yeah, but we don't have the scheduling um, administrative cost with the second one. So that saves us a little. Okay. Fair enough. Um, and you're also not paying a clinician to do an eval, right? Or to do a, an exam that isn't being yeah. rendered into a plan of care. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so now that I understand that the question was, should you be using if in the first call? Like how can we get around if when we, we do have an if. Okay. So we're going to take a look at 
your benefits before you come in. I, I I'm not sure. It, it's the actual saying of the word. Just, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we're going to take a look at your benefits. Once we approve your benefits, then we're going to schedule you for, for your first appointment. Okay. So it's just the actual word is what you're saying. Not yeah, yeah. Don't, sorry. The idea that you think I'm right on. <laughs> sorry for that uh, scenic route to get to, uh, yeah, just don't say the word if. Yes. Got it. That's yeah. interesting. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it was just me. We got, no, no, I'll, I'll pretty sure I wanted to make sure I, I understood where you were coming from before I answered it. Yes. It's just, mm-hmm. don't say the word. We're good. Hey, podcast listeners, when we make assumptions about others, it's just not fair. In spite of that, I'm going to make an assumption about you. You have a growth mindset. You want to help more people, leave a bigger impact, build a better practice. Am I close? If I'm right, then I have a unique offer that I think you'll be interested in. But first, if you're a regular listener, you probably know that this is brought to you by Breakthrough, the leading platform for private practice growth. Breakthrough's mission is to help people in pain get back to normal, live healthier, and do it naturally. The best way to do this is by empowering private practice owners like you to grow your business through direct-to-consumer marketing. If you're a practice owner with a growth mindset, you'd benefit from a risk-free consultation with a breakthrough growth expert. Go to getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer to take advantage of this unique opportunity. On that call, you'll learn the key principles of how practice owners are helping more people, creating a bigger impact, and building better businesses with Breakthrough Systems. As an added bonus, the team at Breakthrough is giving a $50 Amazon gift card to any of the podcast listeners who attend this growth consultation. Sign up for your growth consultation and $50 gift card at getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. Again, that's getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. Um, So we had some questions from the um, Facebook group, the private practice PT Facebook group. Um, The first one is from, was from Tom Wells. And he asked how many patients do most PTs see um, like an individual PT see based on a 40 hour week? Yeah. So this is a tricky question. Uh, Pre-pandemic, I would say that on a national level, the, the, benchmark was 60 with a lot of assumptions in there, 60 visits in a 40 hour week. Um, the, that number is definitely lower today. Um, we use 50, but I want to give you all the assumptions that go into that answer. So 50 per clinician per 40 hour week. Uh, the, the biggest one is number of units. So if we're not talking about number of units and I just off the top of my head, John, you, you have a large portion of capitated payers, correct? In Albany, yeah, yeah. So th- I mean, that's and we're uh, less than ten percent. I would say would be capitated payers. So I know New York is a, a tough state, and you know, essentially, if you do two units, you're you've maximized the the reimbursement of the visit. Is that fair, John? Yeah, all our people try to get four units. Just they're doing it. But yeah. uh, yes, we may only just get a global fee. So yeah, so a, a better uh, for to answer your question, Tom, it, it's really relative to your practice. 
I can tell you um, just from talking with some owners that do like the one an hour um, that the issue there is if you're doing one visit an hour um, and everybody's the same, which that in itself doesn't really make sense because there's no consideration on complexity, but fair enough. So if you're only doing one hour visits and you're averaging like 3.5 units per visit, that that's that tends to be a problem. Um, so anything under like four visits per clinician per hour um, is can be um, challenging. So I, I would look at it as units per hour. So and you know in a case um, like in New York or New Jersey where there's capitated payments, I might be seeing eighty visits a week, but I'm scheduling a person every thirty minutes and only billing a few units for each person who comes through somewhere like um, Pennsylvania is not the best example, highest reimbursement somewhere in the Pacific Northwest where there's uh, fewer capitated programs. And uh, that, that person might be 40 hours a week, but they're seeing the same number of units as John or another practice owner in New York or New Jersey. So the, the best way to look at it is revenue per hour or units per hour. Awesome. Any follow-up questions about that? All right, I'll move to the next question uh, that came from Kelly. Do you use an outcome measure for all patients? If so, which one? No, I, I, I mean, I, I'm guessing this is a referral or a, a reference to like photo. Um, we, I thought we were rolling out an initiative. I actually had to check on this one beforehand with, uh, Mike, who, uh, is essentially our CEO and COO of, uh, the practice. Um, we, we have not yet, um, it may come right now. We use, um, you know, Berg balance for vestibular and, and balance patients. We we're using, uh, the dash for, uh, shoulder patients. We're, it, it, we're using an appropriate outcome measure for whatever the diagnosis, for whatever the body part is. Cool. Um, and then we had a couple questions from Leonora, who I saw join for a minute, so I'm bummed that she dropped. Um, but she had asked um, one a question about Medicare cuts. And I know, Chad, you recently um, were on a webinar with BCMS where you discussed the 2023 proposed cuts. Um, she watched that and she said she's confused about the conversion factor um, for Medicare cuts in 2023. PTA visits will still be cut a percentage um, as we already put up with in 2022. Um, and now there's more cuts being proposed. Does this mean another 15 to 20% from each visit? Um, she's just she's confused about what the conversion factor means. Yeah, I, I'm confused about the conversion factor language as well. The it's not an additional PTA, and so from recollection of what Mary DeLong said, that PTA cut and the CODA cut is here to stay. That's not going anywhere. That is 15 percent. Every other medical profession has done the uh, lower reimbursement uh, for their assistance. And it's that is that is not going away. 
that's no different than what you had in 2022, right? So there's no change. And it's going to be the same in 2023, 2024. That's what Mary's saying. Like that's not, that's not even on the table. The, um, what the proposed cut is, uh, decreased reimbursement conversion factor, whatever you want to say is, uh, off the top of my head, it was 4.2. I believe it's 4.24 um, was the actual number that uh, Mary gave as a reduction in payment. So if we're, you know, in 2021, we were at $100, um, then we had the 15% cut. And I mean, I'm just doing really quick math. Plus there was another reduction in there of, I forget what it was, 1.55, something like that. Um, that you know, got us down into, let's say $88 a visit. Um, you know, if we're split a schedule with a PT and a PTA and that, and depending on the payer mix, uh, the amount that is, uh, Medicare federal payer. And then this would be an additional, uh, 4% plus on that, that $88. So yeah, it's, it's, the reduction in payment is applied to the 2022 numbers, not the 2021 numbers. Yeah. And that's just, it's about a 4% cut is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. A okay. little bit north of 4%. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Thanks. Um, and then her next question was, how do you deal with patients who want to be seen less frequently than you're, than what you're suggesting in their plan of care? Yeah. So this um, we've, We've looked at this a lot over the years, and we just noticed that some clinicians are uh, more competent than others in terms of uh, plan of care compliance. And we noticed it starts in the exam. So we teach that uh, seven-step exam. Um, we train not only all of our PTs here, but also clinicians across the board um, at Breakthrough in terms of doing that exam. And walking through everything in a very sequenced way. What happens um, for some clinicians where there is drop-off and non-compliance is, so if we've touched all the bases, we've done an amazing introduction, we understand exactly why the person is here, and in particular, why it's important for them to get back to normal, what it is they're missing out on life. And we, we go through all the steps and we get to that plan of care summary and we say, okay, uh, here's what successful treatment looks like. You're going to need 12 visits. It's three times a week for four weeks or twice a week for six weeks or what, whatever your frequency and duration is. Um, and we're going to walk out front and get started. The, you know, yes, some patients, um, we just find that anything over 20% of patients that aren't subscribing, it, it always comes back to what's happening in that exam room with the clinician. So 80% of the time, we're going to schedule out the full plan of care on visit one. When somebody gets less, a clinician gets less efficient than that, we take a look at what's happening in the exam room. Most common problems there are that they'll waffle on uh, the recommendation. So rather than be, you know, here's what successful treatment looks like. <coughs> and, you know, mentally it's, I've seen this hundreds of times. I'm going to hold your hand and walk you right through the process. Um, They'll, they'll waffle. So rather than being a guide, a confident guide, they'll, they'll waffle during that time and they'll use if, or they'll use, well, you know, uh, some sort of range, which drives me crazy. Like 
you know, two to three times a week for four to six weeks, it, that, that's not prescriptive in, in any way. That's a range. And that gets us in trouble in documentation and compliance and all that other stuff. So just being very sure and certain um, leading into that. The next one that'll happen is uh, realize that in 10 to 20% of the time, people have real life issues that get in the way. So, you know, at work, they only get their schedule once a week and it they have swing shift or something like that. And they don't know what their schedule looks like three weeks from now. Yeah, that, that may happen. And, but 80% of the time or so, depending on the area you're in that it, the normal process, the normal seven step exam, people should be scheduling out, be able to schedule out their full plan of care. Um, the other things to think about there is if there's a, a financial um, hurdle for the patient. So we, I mean, the way that we do everything that we can legally do that doesn't put us out of um, put us out of compliance with our insurance contracts to allow people to continue to come in for care. So essentially, what we're doing is, you know, like a a we'll do payment plans for financial hardship. So if you know somebody has a, a fifty dollar copay and they they're coming in three days a week and they can only afford fifty dollars a week, we will write up that they're going to pay us. $50 over the next eight weeks or 12 weeks, whatever it takes to, um, to satisfy their bill there. And we, we reach a financial agreement ahead of time. I, we're all in different states. I would just be very aware of your practice act. We go to, um, in the past, we went to Paul Welk or Mary DeLong, you know, have a compliance team that we work with um, just to make sure that you're on the up and up there with your insurance contracts and also your practice act. Cool. Thanks, Chad. Hi, Chad. Um, we're going to start trying to renegotiate some of our insurance rates. Have you guys had success doing that? And if so, what are the factors that led to that success? Well, this is Vanessa. Yes. Uh -huh. uh, I, I cheated Vanessa uh, for this. So uh, it, when I was, um, when we were fully independent, um, no, <laughs> did not do well with negotiating. Um, we certainly tried um, that, you know, there's a, oh, I don't want to get myself in trouble for this. Um, there's, it, it, it's a very unfair game that, to be truthful. So, you know, an insurance company maybe have the same contract with a thousand providers in a certain geographic area. But any sort of collusion with each other um, or any any time we're talking about negotiating with the insurance company, it, it instantly it becomes collusion. Here's what I would recommend if you're going to go through this. Um, I've interviewed uh, Katie Britton. Oh, I'm blanking on the other. Uh, Carl Klein-Peter. I, I think it's Carl Klein-Peter, uh, both from Louisiana. And they actually successfully fought um, an insurance company statewide for higher rates. I've seen that work really well. So I would look for, uh, because the majority of the time it results in failure and just frustration that you wasted time on trying to get a few more dollars. Um, the, and I've talked with Bob Kowalik about this on a national level, um, who's 
done it well. They're, they're the most notable example. The other thing that I've seen happen that we've personally had to happen and the most successful case ever was we were treating an employer, a patient who employed 300 plus people. Um, and I remember the, yeah, I remember exactly what happened here. They went and told her, you only get uh, 12 visits a year. And this is the, this is how much we're willing to pay. And, and she's like a three-time cancer survivor. She had all these comorbidities um, and she's a huge employer and she's willing to be loud. She took her denial letter, went right to the insurance company and she negotiated better than anything that we could have, <laughs> we could have ever asked for. And she basically got herself lifetime PT, like no limitations on PT um, because of who she was in the workplace. That's kind of needle in the haystack. What I would do is, yeah, reach out to um, Katie Britton. I know she's in all of our groups. Um, Carl Klein, Peter as well. Follow the advo advocacy groups that are successfully um, going up against the insurance companies and do that. So Vanessa, where's your practice at? We're in Indiana. Okay. So, and are there a lot in your area? Are there a lot of other competitors around you? There are, yeah. Okay. So what, why would the, what percentage of the market provider market do you think you make up for them? Oh, we're, we're the newest company. We've only been there for seven years, so it's not huge. We have several large hospital systems and some larger uh, privately owned ones as well. Yeah. So for us, when we looked at that and, and I attempted to do it early, uh, probably not the best well thought out attempts of negotiation. And I mainly focused on everything that I learned from the association, which was talk about my cost to provide care um, and how that was increasing uh, that I completely failed at doing that. And then I looked at the numbers and we were less than 1% of the market. So, the, I mean, they, they really had no, and the insurance company had no incentive at all to negotiate with us because if we would have refused, they just, they could have gone elsewhere. Um, the other resource that I'll share with you is uh, Ben Wobker just went out of network with uh, United Healthcare in uh, the, the greater Seattle area. Um, he was on the podcast. He shared a lot of, uh, of how-to process and procedure in that, that would be a good listen um, if you're looking to do that. And he just, I mean, essentially what they did was they gave the insurance company an ultimatum and uh, the insurance company didn't budge and he ended up going out of network and he retained 50% of the patients that had that, uh, that had United Healthcare. I'll drop the link to that um, in the chat here. If you just give me a second, I'll find that episode with Bob Wap. Ben Walker, I was thinking about that too. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Welcome. I'll keep asking. I mean, I have some yeah, questions, but I mean, if we've got time, um, where do you see PT heading in the future? You know, you've been in the industry for a little bit of time and I know there's some unique kind of progressing challenges for the PT industry. So I'm just curious where you see it heading. Well, I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, defer to John first, because he has seen twice as much in PT a, a, as I have. So John, wh what have you seen and wh what do you see in the future? And then I'll, I'll 
color it in after that? Well, I think um, what I've seen over the years is um, we used to have periods of time when our insurance companies would say, gee, you know, we get a notice in the mail that there's going to be a 10% increase in your reimbursement starting uh, next month. Of course, that doesn't go on anymore. And um, I guess what I'm seeing is the whole digital movement to um, with telehealth and now RTM, uh, all of that coming in. Um, things, things are definitely changing, so. Fair enough. Uh, thanks for that, John. The, yeah, the what I've heard, Vanessa, is uh, from multiple people, especially those that have like a, a national viewpoint, industry-wide viewpoint, is that the model has to change. Um, you know, so does that include hybrid models like John was referring to with you know virtual and bricks and mortar practices together? Could be. I I mean, we we did that back in 2011. Um, where I treated somebody internationally um, and from India, you know, online. And I recognized that there were certain challenges in that and I didn't want to do that long-term. However, you know, I have friends in that space, Yuri, for example, that are doing nothing but encouraging the growth of virtual practices. I, I think that may be a component that, you know, we can expand our boundaries um, and definitely expand our reach with uh, the virtual tools that we have have available to us now. On, on a bigger scale, um, I'm most concerned, I, I look at the macro for healthcare. So literally just did this in the past week. We're up to $4.3 trillion per year, well, in 2021, spent on healthcare. And utilization is down, <laughs> which is crazy. So if you do the math on the 4.3 trillion, I think it comes out to $12,538 per person in the US. If you look at where that money goes, so if you do physical therapy, chiropractic care, OT and speech combined, it's less than 3% of of healthcare spend in the US. So we're not doing very much and you can add in functional medicine and essentially all conservative care, we're not doing a lot there. We don't have money flowing to preventative care. Yet, I, I've seen too many studies, I know, or I, too many cases, I know John has seen it, you've seen it, Vanessa, Jason, all clinicians have seen cases where somebody had an unnecessary surgery, or they were addicted to opioids, or, uh, you know, had excessive use of medication that was not healthy, or somebody that was getting, you know, three injections every single year, or they were getting MRIs every year. Like we've all seen those abuses. The AMA, them, uh, their research estimates that up to 25% of those medical expenses are unnecessary. What, what is the answer? Well, there's also a lot of research that conservative care is a much better use of the dollar than what we're doing with medication injection surgery. So I think for us, a lot of it has to be around uh, with, within therapy, within conservative care, we need to educate, continue to educate the consumer as much as possible. If I go back to you know, 22, 23 years ago, 
when I was starting my professional career, therapy was kind of viewed as this. I remember friends saying, well, does that really work? I thought, you know, it was just a few exercises or something like that, that it was um, like a very, I don't know, uh, that there was, there wasn't solid research behind it. We do have the research, but we're making as a, as a country, very poor economical decisions with our health. Um, and especially with our healthcare dollar. Yeah. It's, it's over a thousand dollars per month per person in the U S that's, that's insane. Um, and I know like when I look at, I think about this a lot, you know, with my six children and so in our household, it's that's $96,000 a year being spent on healthcare on if the average is played out, right? So is that really something that I want to leave my children with a healthcare system that is that expensive and doesn't really produce the outcomes that we're looking for? We have the highest opioid addiction in the world. We're declining in life expectancy, um, specifically in men. We have the highest rates of chronic diseases in developed nations. Like we have an expensive system that doesn't work. So how can we fix that? I believe it's through education, um, through conservative care, educating the rest of the world, um, in particular in the U.S., exactly what we can do and the benefits that we can offer via treatment. Awesome. Thanks, Chad. All right. Um, if no one has any other questions, I think we're basically at the top of the hour so we can close out. Um, we are planning to do this um, one, once a month, still have to figure out Chad's schedule and if it's going to be on the first of the month every, every month, but um, we really appreciate all of your participation and look forward to having you back at, at the next one. And Leonora, we did answer your question. This is recorded. And also, Vanessa, uh, Andrea put in the Ben Wapker podcast for you in the chat, the link. Great. Thank you. And thanks for holding this. This is helpful. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.